Well, today in Mastermind, we're looking at this challenge we all have that we don't follow the patterns that we really want to follow. You know, what I don't want to do, I do, and what I hate, I find myself doing. It's a quote actually from the Bible. Why is it that we get stuck in certain patterns, and what are the thoughts that drive those patterns over time? So with us today is my, my friend Chris. Chris, tell us a little bit about how you help people see the connection between how they're not able to break those patterns in their life. Well, first of all, we need to, I need to help them become aware of what the patterns are. Our brain, as complicated as it is, and as intelligent, believes what it's told. If it is told or we tell it something over and over and over and over, after a while the brain just goes, okay, and believes it. And we need to become aware. It's like a record with a groove on it. If it's told over and over, you're stupid or you can't do it, and it's repeated, then we start repeating ourselves, which is even stronger. The brain believes it. Like you can imagine an athlete um, performing at a very high level in the Olympics, we'll say. If they've been told again and again they can do it, and they're at the top of the mountain and they're looking at it, and they tell themselves, I can do it, good chance they're going to do very well. Versus, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I, I, I make mistakes. Yeah. They are going to be handicapped. Um, we believe especially what we tell ourselves. So I try to help people find out and figure out what is their groove? What have they been telling themselves? Many times it's subconscious and we need to take a look at what it could be. I'm shameful or one I see over and I hear over, I'm not worthy. So what we do is rewrite it and it has to be repeated. This is key over and over and over. Ideally, we need support in doing this. We can't just do it alone. Yeah, it's hard to get out of that groove, right? Because that groove has been formed. I've even seen some brain scans. It's not just a metaphor. Oh. It literally, scientifically, your brain gets grooved into that thing. And I remember my son got in an accident. He was like 16 because his, his tire got caught in a groove on the side of the road. And he tried to yank it out and it flipped in the car. So trying to get new thoughts, new patterns out. I mean, it's some work to get out of there. And often we don't have the strength or we don't have the perspective to be able to change that groove, to change that pattern. And so we need other people's love and support. And sometimes it's bad self-talk like you talked about. Other times it's thoughts like, I need to be right. I need to be right. Doesn't matter what the argument is. I need to be right. Or I am what I make. Or I am, back to the athlete, I am uh, my next success, right? I I'm defined by what I accomplish. So it's just so many different grooves. Whatever you believe you become, if you think you can do it or you think you can't, it's determined by what you're thinking. That's amazing. You know, the Bible says something similar. It says in the book of Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You become the thoughts that you put into yourself. Now, those can be negative thoughts. Those can be untruthful thoughts. But Jesus has a fascinating solution. He says only the truth can set you free. True thoughts can form new grooves and therefore new patterns. So we want to figure out what are the patterns that I need? What is the solution to find the new thoughts? Because as Chris and Chad just described, we get into these grooves, into these tracks, into these pits that are hard to get out of. And so if you haven't seen the game Mastermind before, it was described to me as Wordle, but with colors. 
So there's a solution that we're trying to guess our way to, and we have all of this space to work with. And so as you fill in the pegs, then you find out which parts of that solution don't belong at all. They're not part of the solution. Which parts are the right thing in the right place? Which parts might be the right thing, but in the wrong place? And so we're going to kind of work through that a little bit today, and we're going to start right here with the red peg. This is going to represent what the Bible calls sin. Sometimes it says that our, our sins are like scarlet. And the thinking here is that even if I don't know what the Bible standard is, even if I don't agree with it, we all have things in our lives that we would probably agree are not good things to be doing. That maybe I'm, I'm trying not to do them, but I find that I keep slipping into that bad pattern. I keep slipping into that bad habit, that bad thought process. And I'm trying to change and I do better for a little while and then I fail again. So one of the things I really want you to pick up on from what they just shared is this idea that the grooves actually happen in your brain. So there is literally scientific research behind this that the neural pathways you use the most get stronger. And because your brain is built with electrical current, the stronger that pathway gets, electrical current always takes the path of least resistance. Which means if I continue to repeat negative habits, negative thoughts, it actually gets easier to do it again next time. Which is why Chad has highlighted a couple times in this series that one of the things we find in the Bible is that God says that his spirit wants to renew your mind. Because you can actually do this, and, and I believe this is where God helps, that if you essentially force yourself, as Chris was describing, to think differently, you start to strengthen a different neural pathway. And by lack of use, the other one literally starts to shrink. It becomes easier and easier to actually do that new thought process, that new behavior. So as we lean into this today, I want that to be an encouragement to you because one of the most uh, popular and best-selling authors of all time, C.S. Lewis, has this famous quote that is like painful to hear, but he says that nobody realizes how bad they are until they try to be good. Because then you realize just how hard it is to actually achieve your own standard let alone God's standard. So let's say that this red represents something in my life or yours that I've realized this is a pattern that I want to change. Right, so for me, I think of things like I've had an issue over my life with yelling at my kids. That there's some part of me that thinks getting louder means that they're going to obey better, right? So having recognized that, that's something I want to change. Or, or maybe it's in your marriage. You think about your spouse and the days where you have this huge argument, and by the end of it, you don't even know why. And you're like, I don't want to do that anymore. And you make it for like three days. <laughs> and then you have another argument. Why does that keep happening? Well, so one solution is to say, it's not my problem. It's not that bad. Essentially, I don't care. Right? There's a lack of motivation there. If that's the thought, when this action happens, if that's how I approach it, then essentially... My emotions follow that. I stay angry or I stay unaware and I end up right back where I started in that same behavior. So the world has presented a number of solutions for us. And most of the time what we hear is that what we need is more information. If I just knew how to do better, then I would do better. Or, or maybe it's not information. Maybe it's aspiration. If I just wanted it bad enough. 
right? Because I know how, but it's still not working. If I just wanted it bad enough, then I could do better. Or maybe it's not aspiration. Maybe it's perspiration. (laughs) If I just tried harder, if I just tried harder, then I would do better. Here's the reality. The passage we're going to look at today from the Bible is going to spend most of the time on solutions that don't work. And here's why. Because those three things I just told you, we have spent so much time in human history convincing ourselves that those things work, despite all the evidence to the opposite, we actually need a brand new solution. So Paul is going to try to break down why those things don't work, why that's not the solution to our puzzle so that we can find what the solution is. And he does that in the book of Romans, and specifically today we're looking at chapter 7. So this is Paul, one of the most famous men in history, one of the great early teachers of Christianity, writing to other Christians. And look at how he experiences this in his own life. He says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. I mean, does that feel like confusion to you? In fact, if you just read straight through this chapter, it's like he is all over the place. But isn't that exactly what we feel? That the thing I'm trying to get rid of, I I actually don't want to. So if aspiration was supposed to be one of the solutions, it's not working. I don't want this. Right? I don't want to fall into this pit. I don't want to be stuck in that groove. I don't want to keep having that fight. I don't want it doesn't seem to be enough. That's what he's saying. I, I will... To do the right things, and yet it's not happening. What I hate is what keeps happening to me. So he's going to break down for us a couple of the solutions that he has tried to explain to us why they don't work. Well, so here's one of them. Check out in the next couple of verses. He says, but sin. Okay, so remember, that's what our our red peg is representing. Sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. That's confusing. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Clear as mud, right? So I'm just going to, I'll put this here. Can, Can somebody come and explain that to me, please? All right, so I've been working through this this week a little bit because here's what I think he's trying to say. All right, if, if this is my core problem, what, what he's going to call sin, what is the solution? Okay, so I've hit some behavior that I don't want. Well, look at his first solution here. I agree with the law that it is good. So there's a couple terms here that we have to define if we're going to understand what on earth he is saying right here. And the first one is law. So if you remember last week, Chad used the idea of Hulk smash for more rules to try to pound myself into submission. So we're going we're gonna to stick with that. We're going to let the law be our green peg. But you've got to realize that when Paul is talking about the law, he doesn't mean the kinds of stuff that Congress is working on. He's talking about God's law. This is God's perfect standard for living. And the idea the Bible presents is that if we actually lived perfectly by God's law, then we would be acceptable to God. That if we actually lived perfectly by God's law, then we would experience all the blessings that come from living the way he's designed the world to be. 
So when you understand that law refers to God's perfect standard, now you can start to understand the word sin. Because it, it, it's up there like six times. Sin is producing sin so that the sin will seem more sinful because then there's sin dwelling in me. All right, so this is, this is a hard part. But Paul is essentially owning that he's not a perfect person. <laughs> and that it's not enough to just say, well, I mean, you know, nobody's perfect, right? Like he has to recognize that sin which is an old English archery term for missing the mark. Anywhere that we miss the mark of God's perfect standard, the Bible calls sin. It's just that simple. Paul says, I've got to recognize not only that it's in me, but that it's producing death in me. So the Bible teaches that sin leads to spiritual and physical death, that that's what's ultimately broken with the world, that death is not natural and normal. It's a result of the breakdown of God's perfect standard for the place we live. But it also produces it practically. So if we pick up one of these sins that, uh, let's, let's say lying. If I lie to my spouse, it produces the death that now she trusts me less. Right? And if I cover up that lie so it won't produce that kind of death... Well, then it produces the guilt and the shame and the regret. And now I'm doing more lies to try to cover up the other lies. Right? And we could go on and on and give examples. But that's what Paul is trying to explain. There is something good. The law is good. When it says don't lie, that's good. (laughs) But there's something else that happens in me and I have to own it that actually breaks things down and produces these negative consequences. So the first solution that really doesn't work is more law. We have to move past thinking that more rules will bring more results. You see, a lot of times that is what we throw at a situation. Like, I know I do this in parenting, and it's like, so I won't be too specific here because I did not ask my kids for permission, so let's just say I'm speaking to one of my children, (laughs) and I'm saying, when I say it's bedtime, this is what needs to happen. And then it's like every day they find a new way to break that bedtime. And it's like, okay, then I have another rule for you. It also means no comic books. It also means you can listen to music, but not like talk radio or talking things. And I mean, our kids are pretty little still. You know, it's like I keep adding one more rule. No, it means you have to sleep in your bed, not in the hallway. And they always find one more way to kind of get around it. And I just had this heartbreaking conversation a few weeks ago with one of my kids because whatever it was, like, I could feel the frustration building in me, but I'm trying not to get this anger, and I'm trying not to respond that way, and so I'm just, and I, and I looked him in the face, and I said, you just have to obey. And he looked back at me, and it's like, oh, this is, he's me. Like, he looked back at me with tears in his eyes and said, I can't. Like, I, like he meant it. Like, and I'm thinking, Yes, you can. Do it. Just do it. And here's what you can do, and here's what you can't do, and I'm throwing rules at the situation, and all I'm doing, which is the same thing that happens to all of us, is the burden on his back is getting heavier and heavier of all the things he's trying to do and can't. I read a story uh, recently by uh, another famous historical author, a guy named Augustine, 
And he described that how he found this in his own life was because when he was a teenager, he and his friends would go to a neighboring yard and steal pears. So I'm reading this. I'm like, right, stealing. That's bad. Okay, I got it. I know where he's going with this. And he said what shocked him, though, is he realized it wasn't because he wanted pears so bad. Because he actually had pears at his house, too. And the pears they stole, they then went to a farm and just threw them to the pigs. Why? What on earth? <laughs> he said what I realized was it's as soon as somebody told me I can't that I sort of wondered if I could. And then I sort of wondered if we could get away with it. And then my friends sort of thought it was funny. And so then we tried to figure out how do we sneak in, steal the pears, throw them to the pigs because we didn't really want them, but we got away with it. Right, that's what Paul is trying to express. That that's what is broken in us. And that's why the law doesn't work. Because there's something even about the rules that either puts that burden I just can't carry or actually makes me want to break them. And so if we think that the solution to the problem is more rules, we just end up frustrated and we find ourselves making those mistakes again. We're right back where we started. One of the resources that has been especially helpful to me about this is there's an author named Dr. Kathy Cook. So we've actually had Kathy here at Horizon a couple of times, but this book, Start With The Heart, we've hit on this a bit in this series, but that was like a game changer for me with my own kids and thinking about how I relate to God. Because she really digs into what kind of rules we make, how we use them, why we think they're the solution, and how you have to start with the motivation, not all those rules. How to connect with your child's heart the way God wants to connect with your heart. And so I'd encourage you, I mean, I'd, I'd encourage you to pick up the book, but um, Kathy, because she's spoken here a couple times, if you go into our app or onto our website and you say um, past messages, sort by speaker, she's under D for Dr. Kathy Cook. Um, and you can actually hear her teach on this topic, Start With The Heart. So especially for parents, that is a great listen. I mean, like her stuff is one of the things that's always rolling through my head when I'm thinking about those things. But you notice that even with my own kid, it starts to shift not just from more rules, right? But when I'm looking him in the eyes and I'm so frustrated because I want him to get it right and I'm probably partly feeling my own frustration because I want to get it right and I'm saying you just have to do it. We're starting to shift to another solution because the problem is still here and more rules didn't fix it and I'm starting to tell my kid that what he needs is he really needs to try harder, that's the perspiration, right? If I just try harder. But look at how Paul describes that in the next couple of verses. He says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me. Like to actually want this, I have that, I have that. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. So the law didn't fix it, but he's still going back and forth. He's still facing these things. He wants to change in his life. And you notice those words that come up, perform and practice. Those are effort words. That if I tried harder, I'd perform better. If I practiced more, then I would get it right. But he finds that even though he wants to, he can't perform and he keeps practicing the other thing right that's where that that trenches that groove that keeps making it easier to repeat and to practice the problem you see that's the second thing we have to understand I have to move past thinking that more effort will be more effective 
Now, even as I say that, I'm, I'm not telling you that rules are bad. I'm not telling you that effort is bad. But I think about it kind of like playing basketball. So I played basketball in high school. I guess I still play, but I was on a team in high school. And one of the things that I learned was that you don't win games during the season. Coach told us you win games during the off-season, right? It's who's willing to put in the work, who's willing to make the effort, who's willing to practice. And so I remember one specific summer where we would meet with Coach at this tiny little gym in a church every single Saturday morning for like two or three hours. And Coach would start us three feet away from the hoop, and you're going to stand right here, and you're going to shoot until you make ten in a row. When you make ten in a row, you can back up to about eight feet. And you're going to shoot right here until you make 10 in a row. And if you miss, you start over. You're back here until you make 10 in a row. Then you can go until you make 10 in a row. Then you can move to the free throw line until you make 10 in a row. But if you miss one, you're going to start over. And only when you've made 10 in a row, 10 in a row, 10 in a row, now I've made 30 shots in a row, then you can move back to the three-point line. I don't think I ever made it to the three-point line that entire summer. Because if you think about it, it was like the same routine every time, right? Like if I just perform this the right way. For me, it was always two bounces, two spins, and I would usually drop the left hand so I don't push it the wrong direction. Over and over and over again. Because everybody knows to be the best, you got to work the hardest. No ifs, no buts, no excuses. We are not going to practice until we get it right. We're going to practice until we can't get it wrong because everybody knows practice. No, it doesn't. Everybody knows practice makes perfect, and it doesn't. I mean, think about why do we even say that? Because somebody told us that's the groove, right? Practice does not make perfect. In fact, I think over that summer, like, my free throw percentage improved from, like, 65 to about 85. I got better. But think about this. Steph Curry is going to be in the finals that start, like, June 2nd. Okay? He's got multiple championships, multiple MVPs, widely regarded as the greatest shooter in the history of basketball. You know what his career shooting percentage is? The guy who practices more than anybody. 0.47. What that means is the best shooter ever who practices more than anybody else, it's less than a coin flip on whether he's going to make a shot or not. Practice does not make perfect. See, and that's the problem that Paul discovered. Because perfect is the goal. If you go back through the book of Romans, if you go back through the last couple of weeks that Chad has been sharing with us, like, God is telling you, if you get this perfectly, you will be accepted. Oh, man, then I have got to get to work, right? Two bounces, two spins. I'm trying, God. Only here's the reality. If you've ever missed once, you've already missed. That's why more rules is not going to fix it. More effort is not going to fix it. You end up just as frustrated as you have ever been and still making the same mistakes. You see, these are the grooves that our minds have been stuck in that Paul is trying to remove for us. That if we think it's more rules or we think it's more effort, that's going to break down every time. Now, it is important to understand that he said the law is good. Okay? So it's not to throw those things out and say, well, then who cares? You know, do whatever you want. Right? He's not saying that we shouldn't try. He's not saying turn off your brain, just sit around, you can't do it, might as well give up. Right? That, that's where these broken solutions lead to. Instead, what he's trying to present for us is that there might actually be a different solution.
So check out, if you jump down to verse 24 of chapter 7, this is the, the last thing that Paul kind of says in this chapter. Oh, wretched man that I am. Like this is how despondent he ultimately feels at his inability to change himself. Oh, wretched man that I am. I think this is where songs like Amazing Grace, you know, gets that classic line that saved a wretch like me. That's all Paul has left from all of his efforts, from all of his rules, from all of his life. And he's like at the top of his game. So if Paul can't make it, I'm toast. This is how he sees himself. A wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you catch what just happened? Paul is no longer asking how. He's asking who. And just in this sentence, like all of the focus, you see that first line, oh wretched man that I am, all of the focus has been on Paul. All of my focus, if these are my solutions, all of my focus is on me. Either because I'm so selfish, I won't even address it. I'm, I'm just about me and it's not my problem. Or because I've got to work harder. I've got to try more rules. I need more information, more perspiration, more aspiration. I've got to do something. I've got to fix this. And every time we end up frustrated because we're right back where we started. So we try those things again and the grooves just don't work. And so the frustration returns. And we haven't changed our habits or our thinking. But finally, he takes the focus off of himself and turns it towards Jesus. You see, this is the new solution. This is what changes everything else that he's been trying to wrestle through. That instead of his performance, instead of his rules, instead of his effort, you see what he says? I thank God through Jesus for being delivered. So the new solution for us is to move from law and performance to thanksgiving for being delivered. You know, this is essentially the core of the Bible's message. And so I want to make sure that you understand. Because over on this side of the mastermind board, this is where the solution is. So as you're playing it, it's kind of hidden from you. And so you're rearranging all these colors. You're trying to get here. But look at this. If this is the solution, I don't even have any white pegs. I don't even have any blue pegs. I could not even have guessed that thing, which is why God gives us this book. He says, you are never going to guess this. You're going to keep trying the same things over and over, and they're going to keep not working. But let me tell you what you actually need. So this white peg represents Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ made every shot he ever took. As God in the flesh, he is the only one who has perfectly kept God's perfect standard. That every effort he made succeeded. He had the will, he had the power, he had the follow through. Jesus Christ alone was perfect. And that's why he came. See, because he knows that sin is producing death in us. He knows that it is producing separation from God for us. And he says... I don't want to leave it that way. So when Jesus comes, then we start to hear words like saved. Or like the one Paul's using today, delivered. 
that through Jesus, I am delivered from the death that I was causing myself. Delivered from my imperfection. In fact, it will go on to say in the rest of Romans that through Jesus, God considers the perfect law kept by me. To which I say, um, God, you must not have been paying attention. I have most certainly not kept your perfect standard. He says, I know. But that's why Jesus came. To live the perfect life. To die the death that we deserve. So that we are counted every bit as perfect and righteous as Jesus himself. Paul used that phrase, through Jesus Christ. You see, what he's saying there is that when God looks at you, he sees you through Jesus. When you say to Jesus that I've realized my efforts aren't enough, my rules aren't enough, there's nothing I can do to actually correct my own sin problem. And you come to Jesus and say, so what I need, I need a deliverer. I don't need more information. I don't need more aspiration. I don't need more perspiration. I don't need all these rules and all this effort to meet the perfect standard. If that's the ultimate goal, I need a deliverer. I need a forgiver. I need Jesus. And so when Paul paints that picture, what he's hoping for for himself, what he's hoping for for you and I, is that we begin to understand exactly what it means to live in that kind of freedom. Because I can't sit here and tell you, and Paul wouldn't either, I mean, he's writing this as a Christ follower, that the day I told Jesus I need his forgiveness was the last time I made a mistake. All right, if anybody ever tells you that, you just send them to me, we'll, we'll chat. <laughs> I mean, this is part of the problem, right? We look at Christians and we say, well, if I'm supposed to believe in your God, and he's such a good God, but you're such a big jerk, like maybe your God doesn't work that well, right? So what I would present to you is, because I see this in myself, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the Paul thing, like forget about you, let's talk about me. <laughs> like when I have those moments, when I'm selfish again, when I give in to temptation again, when I fly off the handle again, it's not because of Jesus, it's probably a moment that I have gone back either to a black peg of not caring, I just want it the way I want it, or because I'm on one of those green pegs where I'm trying to do it by myself, that that's my solution is I'll just power up. But Paul presents us something a little bit different. It's still in that same chapter. He actually said this a little bit earlier in verse 6. He says, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now there's definitely still some mystery here. But what he's trying to explain for us is that when I understand that Christ was perfect for me. And that because he delivers me, I am seen as perfect through Christ. Now, obedience actually begins to make sense. You see, it's no longer the thing that fixes me. It's no longer the thing that I do to try to make God happy. Right, that's one of Paul's main points. Is that if I think I'm going to obey my way into God's good graces, I will fail every time. But when I understand that his grace is a gift, that I am forgiven, that I can be guaranteed heaven by no power of my own but by Jesus Christ, 
then obedience actually starts to make sense because now God himself is starting with my heart. That I'm no longer obeying to be accepted. I'm obeying because I'm accepted. You see, then if I have a red moment on any given day, instead of wallowing in misery and guilt and self-doubt and regret and condemnation, he says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, we all have ups and downs, but don't stay there. Don't give up. And I can tell you, one of the best ways I've seen this in my own life, this is where you, you, you hear people talk about their relationship with God. Because I spent a lot of time in my life, even reading the Bible, packing in all the rules, and then going out there and trying to live it, and just not seeing the change. And, and I can tell you, like, I literally, I have a notebook at home where, man, this was like, this was probably 15, 20 years ago, but like, every day I was writing down what I read from the Bible, what I thought I should learn from it, and when I look back at that period of my life, like, I was not changing. And I'm telling you, the thing that was missing was I was not talking to God about it. I was taking all the notes, and then I was trying to do it on my own. So I'm, I'm still not a perfect person in, in practice, but I am a perfect person in Christ. And so today what I do is when I sit down and when I read the Bible, I'm asking God, God, what does this tell me about you? And what does this tell me about me? Because here's something that happened. Somebody taught me this once and I love it. Like, God, what do you think about the last 24 hours? And what do you think about the next 24 hours? And that helps me kind of review like, oh yeah, that thing I said to my daughter. Oh yeah, that fight I had with my wife. Lord, I didn't want that. How did that end up that way? And what would I do differently and will you help me? Because right now I'm going to decide that I want to do it differently. And halfway into the fight, I'm going to forget, <laughs> you know. And I found that if I ask him by his spirit, will you remind me in that moment what we talked about this morning? Bring that verse back to mind. Help me to obey. Not because I'm trying to prove something to him or gain his acceptance, but because I know how much he loves me. And I want to show that to other people by the way I act. And I can tell you, because I don't want you to leave discouraged this morning that Paul doesn't stay in chapter 7. For all the frustration that he feels in that chapter, Paul finds himself moving on. That you will experience in your life, if you, if, I'm telling you, if you just take the Bible and try to memorize it and do all the rules, you will be frustrated. There will be yellow pegs everywhere. But if you take that thing and you start to talk to God about it, relate to him on it, ask for his help, that other neural pathway starts to get stronger. He starts to renew your mind. And you will find that those times of struggle, those times of failure, are not as strong as they once were. They're fewer and farther between. And so I want to encourage you today. I want you to pick one place this week to move on. You know, maybe that's because you need to do some self-assessment and say, where do I need to move on from thinking that more rules, more effort, just trying harder is going to get me where I need to go? You know, honestly, it, it may be what the Bible calls repentance. The Greek word for that, metanoia, literally means a change of mind. And the first change of mind that the Bible wants us to have is to recognize, I can't do it. I have to look to Jesus. 